Let's pray together, church. Our Father, we come before you thanking you for the work that you have already done. For the transformation you have accomplished. God, we know that things are not fixed in lives in, in a moment. God, we're thankful for the process that your spirit works in us. That you are a God who does not quit, who is steadfast and faithful in the work you do. And this morning, Lord, we ask that you continue your work in us. Lord, open our eyes. Help us to see Jesus in his glory this morning. Help us to know that he is our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You probably remember something about August 29th, 2005. Uh, you've seen the pictures. Uh, it, you've seen the Superdome with the insulation dangling down. You've seen two-thirds of the roof off of the Superdome. You've seen people wading chest deep through that water, trying to get somewhere safe. You've seen the signs on the, the shop doors. You loot, we shoot. Do you remember the people carrying in their arms what they had to live on? Not knowing where they could even go. You remember the helicopters going roof to roof with a basket to draw someone to safety. You remember those floodwaters. Of course, I'm speaking none other than the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in the city of New Orleans. It was a city destroyed by a storm. And I can very confidently say that a part of New Orleans died that day. What you may or may not remember was September 25th, 2006. I remember it as clear as day. I was sitting on my couch watching. Shelton Alexander was, was watching from his FEMA trailer. And really the whole world was watching. Because after a three and out, Steve Gleason fired through the middle of the line and blocked the Atlanta Falcons punter to score a touchdown the first time that the New Orleans Saints touched the football. And I remember watching after the, those announcers who were at that game announcing, and they said, there was nothing we could say in that moment to describe what just happened. The Superdome, that same place where, where insulation was hanging and dangling and people were, were clawing to find something to eat or drink, was alive again. The cheers, the eruption, 
And as cameras panned from section to section, you saw people with great joy on their face. The announcers later said, we, we couldn't speak. It was not our job to speak in that moment. It was the job of us to watch people be alive. It's the closest thing I could think of when reading Jeremiah. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 31. The bulk of our time will be in Jeremiah 31 this morning. Because what is about to happen to the city of Jerusalem is not a hurricane. It's not a storm. It's not a flood. It is an army. And an army comes into the city and completely decimates what everybody knows to be right and good. The way of life that people understood to be was no longer there. It was over. Jerusalem died that day. Lamentations chapter 4 verse 10 says this. This is Jeremiah, the same person that wrote Jeremiah, wrote, wrote Lamentation. He, he described it like this. The hands of compassionate women... Have boiled their own children. They became food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. That's hard to read. He continues in chapter 5 Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Princes are hung up by their hands, no respect is shown to the elders. If I go into the field, behold, those pierced by the sword. And if I enter the city, behold, the disease of famine for both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land and have no knowledge. It's hard to even think of what happened to this city during the great destruction that would come. But... God. But God. We read it earlier in worship. But God who is rich in mercy because of the great. Help me out. Because of the great what? Love with which he loved us. He made us alive in Christ. But God would not leave Jerusalem the way that he did. The way that it was rather. God loved Jerusalem Enough to bring it out of death back into life. And this is where Jeremiah 31 comes in. Now, if you haven't been with us, we're walking through the entire Bible together. And we started way back in the beginning in Genesis. And we saw in chapter 3 what happened, church. It was the fall. God created. The fall happened in chapter 3. And, and, and get this. But God loved humanity too much to leave humanity where they were. And, and the Bible story doesn't end at fall. In fact, it continues on in redemption and it continues on to the kingdom of God. There is a redemptive plan that God is working, even as we read today, 
And there is a kingdom that God has called us to. Let's go to Jeremiah 31 and hear the redemption that happens or that's coming from Jeremiah. Y'all with me this morning? Jeremiah 31, 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of the clans of Israel. They shall be my people. Let me give you some context of this. What happened was the people had utterly and completely abandoned God. The priests no longer wanted God. They set up idols in the very temple of God. And Jeremiah goes through chapter after chapter indicting them of what you have done to abandon me. You are no longer acting as my people, says the Lord. And so when he brings this destruction from the north through the Babylonians to Jerusalem, this is his picture, but that's not the end. This is the but God moment in Jeremiah. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have what church? I have loved you with an everlasting love, with an unfailing love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines. You're going to dance and sing again. And you shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards. On the mountains of Samaria, the planters shall plant and they shall enjoy their fruit. This is a message of hope. Now, mind you, this was not in the Superdome. This was not at a football game. This was even better. Jerusalem would come alive again. And out of deadness out of brokenness, out of death, there would be life. If you were with us Thursday night, you remember Jeremiah even put his money where his mouth is. In chapter 32, Jeremiah bought a plot of land to say, this land, I'm going to buy it because it's coming back to life. The Bible is no stranger to something being brought from death to life, is it? Have you read the Bible? You know that that's a theme, right? The, the death to life theme happens a good bit. If you will, look in John chapter 11. You, you may be familiar with this. There's a man that made Jesus cry. Who made Jesus cry? Let's find out. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. This man was named Lazarus and Lazarus had died four days ago. He was, he was in the grave and Jesus wants to know, where is he? Where is my friend? And in verse 35, the shortest verse in the scripture. Y'all read it with me. What's it say? Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus loved what was dead. 
But he didn't stop there. Because what is love, church? Y'all help me out. Love is wanting the best for someone and doing something about it. Thank you. If you're a guest with us, that's one of our, our definitions. Love is wanting the best for somebody, doing something about it. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could, could not the one who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? And the answer is, yeah. <laughs> yes, he could have. Then Jesus, deeply moved, deeply stirred again, he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for, an odor, for he's been dead four days. It's going to stank in there. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed... Help me out, church. What would they see? The glory of God. I remember that. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and that you, and I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of those who are standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. He has purpose in his prayer. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come out. Or for you KJV folks, what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind and let him go. Lazarus brought from death to life. Literally. Why? I, right, I, I told y'all. Remember that. Y'all remembered it. Why was he brought from death to life? So that you might see the glory of God. You see it right there in verse 40. So that you might see the glory of God. Let me say it like this. And this is a phrase that, that I want you to take away to this morning. New life... New purpose. New life. New purpose. Hope. This morning. What you have signified is that Christ has made new life in you. He gave you new life. And when he did that. He also gave you new purpose. Kevin. Right. He didn't just give you new life. For no reason. He gave it to you with a. Purpose, And as we read through more scripture, I think you'll see that theme is a reoccurring theme. Let's go back to Jeremiah 31. Verse 6. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill of the country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go to Zion, to the Lord our God. For the Lord says, or for thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob. Raise shouts for the chief of the nation. Proclaim, give praise and say, oh, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. The Lord is bringing people back to Jerusalem. Why? Why? Now, he's judged them because they've been disobedient and rejected him, right? But he's bringing them back. Why? Praise. 
Do you see it? If you read verse 7, if you read verse 6, they're going back and he's, he's giving them a voice to, be, to bring praise forth unto God. New life, new purpose. You see, when Israel went into this land flowing with milk and honey, they thought that milk and honey tasted great. And it does. But that wasn't the purpose of the milk and honey, just to taste great. It was so that people might know that the God who gave them milk and honey is a great God. And they might bring praise forth for his name. God said, you will be my people. I will be your God. New life, new purpose. Let's keep going in in chapter 31. Behold, I will bring them from the north country. I'm going to gather them from the furthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind, the lame, the pregnant woman, she who's in labor together. A great company shall return here. With weeping they shall come. With pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path. In which they won't stumble. Straight meaning straight. Easy to walk. For I am a father to Israel. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the words of the Lord, O nation. Declare to the coastlands far away. Say he who scattered Israel. Will now gather him. And will keep him as a what? Help me out church. As a what? As a shepherd keeps his flock. The Lord has brought judgment. He has brought death to Jerusalem. But he hasn't stopped. God loved his people and he did something about it. And he says, I'm going to gather you back. I'm going to bring you back to a place. I'm going to straighten your paths. I'm going to give you still waters. I'm going to shepherd your soul. A few weeks ago, we had a uh, somebody messaged me on Facebook and said, I'm coming down for a reunion at Plaquemine High. Can I stay and uh, at church and plug in uh, to 110 overnight so I can go to the high school reunion? And then we want to go to church the next day. I said, yeah, sure, fine. That'd be great. High school reunions are are a gathering of a coming back for people to enjoy each other's presence. The Lord draws people back to enjoy not merely the presence with each other, but but the presence with God. And and notice he says, I'm going to shepherd you on your way back. This reunion. That football game a year later. Came because they played games in Tiger Stadium in San Antonio and all over the country. And when they came home, there was life coming home. There was life in the dome once again. There is life coming home to Jerusalem once again. But remember, new life, new purpose. And notice, he is not finished with his people He has purpose for his people. Let me ask you a question. This church has been here how many years? How many years has this church been here? Anybody know? 50? It's more than that. 
hundred and something. All right, it's about 115, 120, something like that. Church been here a long time. Do we have churches just to have churches here so that people can come on a Sunday morning and sit and worship? What, what's the purpose of God having church in the first place? And I, I certainly want to say, yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> You're here and we're worshiping God. Praise the Lord, right? So, yeah, that, that's, that's part of it. But it's not all of it. God has given this church a purpose that's bigger than just what we're doing right now. He's given us a purpose to sing the praise and, and for it to leave these walls and go and, and tell others. The, the message we repeat over and over is, help me out, church. Jesus saves sinners that repent. And, and much, all of us in this room have heard that before. If you've been here, because we say it every week, but we've got to bring that out. The Lord brought the, the people back to Jerusalem, not just to have people back in Jerusalem. But, but God was working on a bigger redemptive plan, knowing that through Israel would come one who would save not just one line of people, but all lines of people. And that that redemptive plan wasn't just to redeem one city, it was to redeem the world. And like John chapter 3 tells us, for God so loved the world... God loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Verse 15 says this. A voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter, bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. We know Rachel was one of the, the wives that was... Uh, beloved by Jacob. She's weeping for her children. All of these bad things are happening. She refuses to be comforted because there are no more. God has brought this destruction. But watch this. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is a hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back. From their own country. Let me hit you a little bit this morning. Sometimes. And I'll just say. Everybody in this room. Has faced situations and difficulties in your life. That have hurt. If you've never been hurt. You probably haven't lived long enough. Nobody said amen to that. But we probably all agree to that. Right? I mean, if you haven't been hurt, you haven't lived long enough because this world is going to hurt. There are tears when we hurt. There is grief. There is bitterness. And, and I, I'm not naive to think that there are people in this room today that are hurt, that are probably bitter about something, and that may still be working through some problems. But the scripture wants us to, to remember something. God is an eternal God and he's bigger than all of this. If God has allowed or even designed hurt in your life, 
It's because there's a greater purpose behind it. God loves his people. God loves his people. I talked with, I, I counsel with a lot of folks. And I talked with one lady who said, you know, I just, I'm, I'm really have a hard time. I'm struggling to believe in God because my mom was killed in a car accident when I was young. Y'all hear me? I, I, I can't believe in God because my mom was killed in a car accident when I was young. And I thought, oh, this is, is so sad to hear. And I shared with her, I'm sorry that you've lost your mom. I love my mom. She's here today. And I'm so grateful to have my mom. But to not to forfeit all of eternity, what is true and right and good because of a moment in time in which something bad happened is not God's will for us. It is not. It's not what we need to do. Jerusalem was destroyed and it was bad. New Orleans was destroyed and it was bad. But oftentimes in those difficulties, weep no more because hope is coming. There is hope for the future. And you have two people today who have proclaimed to you in those Baptist, in those in that baptistry and those waters that there is hope. And one, literally, there is hope in those waters. There is hope. If you are struggling today, friend, there is hope. Jesus Christ is bigger than any hurt in your soul. Somebody say amen. Because these are people who have felt that and who have overcome that. Weep no more. Come to Jesus and find your new life in him. New life, new purpose. One of the most popular verses in Jeremiah 31 is verse 31. I'm going to read it for y'all. Y'all heard it before, probably many of you. You know this. You might even have it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That is Moses' day. It's not like that covenant with Moses and the tablets and the laws. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my what? I'm going to put my law that used to be on tablets. I'm going to put it where? In them. In their hearts. And I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be what? My people. Oh, this, this is so good. Now, we looked at our little chart. We had creation, fall, redemption, kingdom. This gets to that last phase. This is new life, new purpose in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus announces 
Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. Repent, follow Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. I'm I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. New life, new purpose. And so Kevin and Hope, I want you all to remember, as you recognize that new life that's in you, as you remember that, That beautiful work that Christ has done in you when you were dead, but you became alive in Christ. You have new purpose now. And and the Lord has you in your families now. And the Lord has you with this people now for a, a purpose. Jeremiah 33, 33, still up here. I want you to notice the text itself. It says this. It is now within you. It is the Spirit of God who has transformed us. There is a heart change. There is a God change. And there is a new possession. You are now God's. If you are under the new covenant that he gives. Now, let me me close with this this story from back to John. John chapter 3, in fact. Y'all got time for one more story? All right. For those of you that do, here you go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that comes from God. For no one can do these things, can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I told you about that kingdom, didn't I? Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we've got another definition around this church that we talk about. And it's the kingdom of God. And somebody's going to help me out. The kingdom of God is God ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people. That means if if you are submitted to God, he is ruling and reigning in your heart. That he is... The, the, the authority that you are under in life, then you are part of the kingdom of God. It's not when you die. It's actually when you live, when you become a part of the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. It's when you live new life, new purpose. And when you're given that new life, you, you're, you're entered now into the kingdom of God. You are a part of God ruling and reigning. If you're here today and you've never submitted yourself to Jesus Christ and his authority as expressed in his word to us, then I invite you, bow on your knee, humble yourself before the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to enter into your kingdom. The Bible also says that those who are not in the kingdom of God will be judged greatly by God's wrath. If they do not turn and enter. Jesus said himself, unless you repent, you will perish. And he's speaking of eternal punishment. A place we call, and the Bible calls, hell or Gehenna. Hades. Let me get back to John. Unless one is born again, he cannot see 
the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus, the teacher of the law, the Pharisee, the educated guy who's, who's memorized more scripture than you've probably forgotten. Nicodemus, the educated, says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Rhetorically asking, and of course the answer is no. What, what do you mean by this born again? Jesus responds to him and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of water is the, Jesus is answering his question. So when he's born of water, that's, of course, like your first birth, when you're born of your mother's womb, when your water breaks, her water breaks And you come out, unless you're born of water, and of what? Spirit. All right. What we celebrate in this church with baptism is that second birth. Right? You're here today. This is what we celebrate. The water doesn't wash sin away. Y'all, that's placable water. You'll get it in a minute if you haven't got that yet. That doesn't wash them away. That is a, a response. That is a symbolic act of what Jesus has done to us spiritually. He's washed away our sin. He's washed away that sinful nature that has kept us rebellious to God and resistant. And if you think that the Old Testament talks about stiff-necked people and you see that donkey... Pulling against the reins. Leave me alone. This is our heart before he washes that nature away and gives us a heart to love him. Unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Have you entered the kingdom of God? Friend? That which is born of the flesh, the first birth, is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, the second birth, is a spiritual birth. I can imagine Nicodemus and his response, just based on what Jesus says next. He's going, Nicodemus is going, what? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound. You see the evidence of the wind. You, it, it, you don't control the wind. You can ask any meteorologist. We don't control wind. If we did, we wouldn't have all these storms of brewing. The wind blows where it wishes. It has a power higher than ours. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God does what He wishes. We have no control over Him. Are you born of the Spirit? Have you been born again? Have you been made alive in Christ? Are you alive spiritually? Do you love Jesus? And you may say, well, how do I know if I'm born again? You know. Because you love Jesus. 
How do you know if you're born again? You know. Because you don't want to be dominated by the, the things that dominated you before. You want to honor God. And you're willing to humble yourself before what the Bible teaches. Bible says don't do this. Alright, I'm not going to do that. And that's not that we never struggle or slip up or fall. But, but our dominating mindset is no, I want to honor God now. How do you know if it's the person you want to marry? You know, somebody's asked me that before and I say you know. You know. Because you don't want anybody else. And you know what's going to give you joy is following and being with that person. How do you know you've been born again? You know. You want Jesus. You want to be with him for all eternity. All right. Man. I read you a passage of scripture earlier from 1 Peter. It says you were born. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I'm going to give you something as you walk out. Application here. All right. This is your application. New life. New purpose. You are born to a living hope. You're born to something. When you walk out of here, Christian. I'm talking to you, Christian. When you walk out of here, you have a hope that is alive. And when things come to pass, when hard days at work or school or at home come to pass, your mind is not set on those things. It is set on a hope that is higher because you have been born again. You have been made alive. You were born to something and you have a new purpose in life. That is to know God and live with whatever God brings to pass. And whether it be difficult or great, we thank God for it. That's what the Bible says. If you want to read those epistles, you can see that. Even in our suffering, we give thanks to God. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So you're born to something. Secondly, application. You were born of something. Christian, you need to know this. Your born againness does not go away. Your born againness is is now part of who you are. You are born of something. First Peter continues, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Your your life moving forward, it's, it's eternal now. It is spiritually and kept in the hands of God. So Christian, you can live life in a great peace knowing you are born again of imperishableness. Your salvation is yours forever. You were born to something. Now you're born of something. May you leave this place with peace and joy in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and for what you have brought us to. To know your salvation. We thank you. God, do a work in us as we walk out of here. Salvation is good. And you have given it to us because you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.